Good morning, everyone. It's great to see you today at Crosstown. I miss Pat. How are you? Great to see all of you today. Hey, we've got all our 3L small groups set up, and we want to invite you to find out about them. We've got a lot of cool and different groups. Now, you have a card in, on your seat that you can use. If you will go and look at some of the groups and get a stamp at the bottom, if you collect more than five small little stamps, you're able to go out to the food trucks that will be here as soon as the service is over, and you can get an item under $10 um, in a small little category. Uh, it's kale only. It's a kale only snack uh, that you can get. But uh, if you get, so you got to go around, you got to talk to uh, guys. If you want to know what they're going, what's going on in those women's groups, go on over, get stamped in those groups, find out what your wife's going to be, you know, talking about while you're not there. And so let me encourage you doing life together is the way that life happens best. And there's only so far that we can go in our relationship with God when God has designed this thing so that we have to do relationship with each other to be able to go to that next step with him. So um, I, I don't know, but I've been listening to the news a little bit, and there's rumor about, you know, a storm, you know, and all this other stuff, yada, yada, yada. Well, I tried to uh, get... Jim Cantori from the Weather Channel to give me an update on, on where this was. He was a little too busy. So I found a different professor that I thought was going to give me a little bit better insight. And here was his report. There's a storm coming, Ari. We'd all best be ready when she does. There's a storm coming, Harry. Apparently there's a guy named Harry who's really concerned about the storm that's approaching us here let me just encourage you, use wisdom and insight when it comes to approaching this. You say, well, what about the church? You know, are you going to flood the fourth time in four years? I mean, if you're going to go for a record, I mean, why not that one? If it does happen and if we do flood, let me just say we probably won't have service that particular Sunday. But we will have, you know, we'll have church somewhere the following Sunday. And also, go to our website and our Facebook page, and we'll be out there on Twitter and all the other different social media outlets to let you know what's going on here, how you can be involved and be a part of what happens. I don't know if you've been here before when this happened. It's the people that get involved during that time, there's a sense of ownership that happens. There's a sense of awe of God in those moments. So we invite you, take care of your family, do what you've got to do first, um, but then, you know, if the storm hits, don't freak out. Don't worry about, you know, my life. A lot of people think I'm going to, you know, take my life or something like that. And hopefully me and my wife will be someplace in Yellowstone if our flight doesn't get canceled. So I'm more worried about that trip than I'm worried about this building flooding, to be honest with you. So uh, just, just use wisdom and insight and uh, and I know that you probably don't drink water, but this would be a good time for you to buy at least 100 gallons of it and put it in your house. So it's great, great to see all of you today. So we've been talking about um, that God wants to offer us a sense of a prosperity of life through our relationship with him. And he, he's not calling us to become scholars, but he wants us to be closer with him. He wants us to know him. And I, I love how David talked about it in Psalm 1. He described leaning into God this way. He said, Blessed is the man or woman who does not walk in the counsel of the wicked, nor stand in the way of sinners, or sit in the seat of the scoffer. 
But his delight is in the law of the Lord, growing in their understanding and their knowledge of God. And out of his law, he meditates day and night. He will be like a tree planted by streams of water, which yields its fruit in season and whose leaf does not wither. And whatever he or she does will prosper. What an incredible promise to start off with. That God says, if you lean into me, into knowing me, whatever you face, whatever obstacles are challenging you, that you will prosper in whatever you do as you grow in your knowledge and relationship with him. It's not about posturing ourselves so that we can win or succeed, but rather posturing ourselves to get close to him. And as a result of it, we do experience success. We do experience the win. We do experience the prosperity that the Lord wants us to have in our lives. You know, one of the most important things to me as a man growing up was uh, the quality of my fatherhood. I mean, there's a lot of things you can be excited about being a man and a lot of things you can accomplish, but I think one of the most important things to me was the quality of my fatherhood. And my relationship with my daughters was very important. It became one of the, the most important thing probably as a, as a young dad. But it wasn't just because I loved my kids and I thought they were cute. But rather, it was because I also saw that, the, uh, f- that fatherhood was a transposing of the concept of God to them. It was a way of communicating God to them by my relationship with them. And for a time, I realized that they would see their relationship with me almost as their relationship with God. Now, I couldn't get my wife to buy into that concept, that her relationship with me was like a relationship with God. But rather, with kids... You know, a lot of kids get hindered in their relationship with God because they get hindered in their relationship with their father. And at a young age, I really saw how important it was for me to spend time with them and me to have this intimacy with them. And I, I fundamentally understood about this father-child relationship that uh, the more time I spent in my child's life, the more that they would understand God, the more that the direction of their life would be significantly and positively impact. So I made sure that they had special time, and I had special time with each of them. So when the girls were younger, we lived in the West Ashley area, each of them would pick a place where they would meet with me individually, and we called it their secret place. Each of them had their own individual, now I'm talking there about five, six, seven, eight years of age, and they would have their own place. And each sister didn't know where the other sister's secret place, where they would meet with me, would be. So whenever they were sad, or whether they just wanted to talk, they would come up to me and they would say, hey, Dad, um, can we go to my secret place? And so we would go to their secret place, and just me and that one daughter would would walk to the end of the cul-de-sac, and, and there was where the secret places were hidden. So Deanna's secret place was in a field. But then it, it was even more than in a field, it was in a tree. That was kind of reflected the heart of, of Deanna. She was always climbing trees. And so in order to spend time with Deanna, we would climb this tree together, and that's the actual tree right there. We would climb the street, and there was a board across the top, and we would sit there, and, and we would talk about what six-year-old girls talk about. And, and we would just have this secret time together, just me and her interacting and sharing our hearts together. Now, Morgan's secret place was at the end of a trail. 
and it was near a tunnel creek. It was actually a brick seawall. And on this brick seawall, we would just sit there with our feet dangling over, and, and we would talk about things, talk about boyfriends, talk about, you know, Deanna and Dawn, talk about, you know, <laughs> talk about school and all the different things that were going on in their lives, and we would have this secret place moment and talk about stuff that eight-year-old girls talk about. Now, Dawn's secret place was different, and I will talk about that in a few minutes. But each girl would meet me to talk. And there I would learn their heart. And there they would learn my heart also. It was a really special time and it was this special place. And I really believe that God wants us to have a secret place where we meet with him and we share our heart and we learn about his heart. So in the Old Testament and in uh, ancient church tradition, we have this thing called an altar. An altar was originally a, a rudimentary structure symbolizing the meeting place of a person with God. And through time and through history and in different types of expressions, mankind has built altars for its meeting time, its secret place, its, its moments with God. And in concept, it was a place built by a person to commune with God for various reasons. It would be a time where the heart would meet and commune with God. And one such event took place between God and a man named Jacob. Now, Jacob was in a hard place in his life. He was in a time of transition, and he was in a time of conflict. And while stopping for the night, he took a rock, because that's how primitive it was. He, he took a rock and he put the rock down on the ground and he laid down and he used this, this rock as a pillow and he fell asleep. Well, during the night, his dreams were about God and he began to have these, these insights from God about his relationship with God. And listen to what takes place the following morning when he pops up from this moment of sleep. In Genesis 28, 16, we're told, Then Jacob awoke from his sleep and said, Surely God is in this place. And I didn't even know it. He was afraid and said, How awesome is this place? This is none other than the house of God, and this is the gate of heaven. And you can understand how a primitive person would all of a sudden think there was something about that particular place and all of a sudden would be amazed by this interaction with God. So Jacob rose up early in the morning and took the stone, which he had put underneath his head, and set it up as a pillar and poured oil on top of it. And he called that the name of that place Bethel, which means the house of God. However, previously the name of the city had been Luz. So he wakes up. And he takes that stone and he pours oil of it, symbolic and in an ancient kind of way of the presence of the anointing or of the presence of God. And he, and he pours it there because someplace in his thoughts, and that's what's symbolic about that stone and symbolic about the, it being a pillow, is that in his thoughts, he had thoughts about God because that is the ultimate altar. As a man thinks in his heart, so is he. Is that in our thoughts, we create altar spaces with God how we think about God, how we interact with God. 
But what he did is he took that, that pillow and he poured oil on it and it became this place that he called the house of God, the gateway of, of heaven, that there was something about that rock or something about that place. I think I, I love this story because of how intimate it is, how simple and childlike it is. Because altars are the place where your thoughts are turned towards God. Literally, altars are those moments when you turn your thoughts towards the thoughts of God. That's really where the real altar happens, is when a man in his heart, when a, when a woman in their, in their heart will begin to focus and think about God and bring their thoughts to God and begin to interact with God. But I love how we as human have artistic and religious history on the issue of altars. Some of the greatest pieces of art surround the building and the decorating of altars. But the most beautiful altars are those moments that you and I just decide to set apart with God to go to a secret place with him and to encounter him and to share our heart with him and for him to share his heart with us. There is a real-time element to this spiritual reality. Some would say, well, you know, it's a certain place that you've got to go. And then there would be others that would say, no, 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 it's got nothing to do with the place. It's all what's going on in your heart. But I think it's really both. I mean, if we were just mystical beings that were out of time and that we weren't locked into a time-space continuum in reality, I would say it was just about what goes on in your heart. But I also have come from a background of religious upbringing where there were certain places where there were holy days of obligation. There was holy water. There was holy altars. There were railings that separated from you going to the altar because that particular altar was holy or going to church was the only place where you could authoritatively meet with God or if you had confession with a particular person in a particular box. I'm not trying to define a particular denomination, but if you had that kind of experience, you were told those were the only ways that you could encounter God. But you know what? I've got to be honest with you. I think it's yes and yes. I think there is something about, and I think we all know, that it really comes down to what's going on inside of your heart. But we all are time, space, physical beings. So it's got to somehow fit into our real world about how we're living our lives and how we're using our time and, and what we're doing in the spaces that we live in. I think I have to pick a place and a time to meet with my Heavenly Father. Just like my kids. Yes, my kids, they knew they had my love. They knew I was going to take care of them. They were going to live in the house. But I think they, they decided we want more than just the... The, the idea of that we are somebody's children or we're, we're safe or we have a house to live in. We want to know him. And so they decided that they wanted to have this secret place. And I think, I think it's the same with our hearts and I think it's the same with our Heavenly Father. And he, he wants to meet with us. He wants to have those secret places. There are those general moments that we have where we're walking about, going throughout our day, and then we're told that God will never leave us nor forsake us, and I don't doubt that for a second. But I also think there's those real-time moments when we have these, these altar encounters with God, when there's, there's a time when, when I've set up a moment 
where I go to meet with God and, and where I interact with God. As I look through the scriptures, I see great men and women of God through the, in the Bible that had altar moments with God. It's interesting. Noah, Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, Moses, Joshua, Gideon, Samuel, Saul, David, Elijah, very diverse people, different. Some of them are warriors, some of them are artists, some of them are prophets, some of them are kings. Um, some of them are, are, are just uh, herders and farmers and I mean, totally different kinds of people, but they had this one thing in common. They were people of altars. They were people that set up these rudimentary encounters with God. They, they took it upon themselves to build moments where they would interact with God, where they would seek God. And for them, altars were memorials. They were places of, of remembering what God had done in their lives. And we need to have a place where we go, where we, we stop and we, we think about what's going on in our life and the things that... When we got news that this storm could possibly hit Charleston and, and, um, and possibly could interrupt our 30-year uh, anniversary trip and, and that we'd have to rebuild the building and all, and, and that still looms as a real possibility... The first thing that we did, and, and I saw that angst come on my wife's face as I grabbed her hand, and I started leading us together in a prayer of thanksgiving for the faithfulness of God in the last three floods, and how faithful over the last 30 years that he had created an intimacy between me and my wife, and that God was not going to give up on that just because the, the weather had changed. And so we entered into a, our altar became an altar of a memorial of remembering what God had done for us throughout the years. And we created a, a, a secret place in this moment of prayer where we met with God and said, God, whether it rains on us or not, and sure, you know, if you could just take that son of a thing out to the sea and let it you know, harm nobody, I would love it. But Lord God, we will praise you and thank you for because great is thy faithfulness. Morning by morning, new mercies we've always seen from you. It's like all of a sudden, we, we, what is that? We built an altar right there in the middle of the angst and, and the difficulty. Altars were a place of sacrifice. It's a place where the person's connection with God was expressed through the cost of the person. It's a place where I go to God and I'm like, God, I'm going to give you something. Not because you need it, because, but rather because I'm going to show you how vested my heart is in you when we take an offering on every Sunday morning, when we create an altar space here during our worship. We don't give money to God because we have to or we're afraid he's going to curse us if we don't. But it's just part of the, the altar where we bring something to God, not in order to get his favor, but just out of thanksgiving and we present something to him. There's something about us that we give into this equation of relationship where we set apart ourselves to God. Altars were a place of celebration and worship. Altars became the objects that represented the union of the seen and the unseen, the sacred and the secular, the God and the man. And I love thinking about it that way because that's, that means that any moment can become, he called it a gateway to heaven, but rather, I like it, I like it becoming a portal 
And I could have shown you a scene from Doctor Strange if you're into Marvel where he does that thing like that and all of a sudden a portal jumps into another location. That's a really cool thing, you know? But that, that's, that's what an altar is. It's, it's when a portal between us and God, a time, a moment in time and space. We could have, if you're a Harry Potter fan, this would be equivalent to a port key. The little boot that they all grab on and, they, you know, if you're into that whole thing and, you know, uh, they all of a sudden are, are transported somewhere else. Whenever we make time for God, whenever we decide that we're going to set ourselves aside to encounter God, we, we encounter heaven. There's a portal between us and the sacred, the, the seen and the, the unseen, when we set aside time to interact with God. And there's a, a union between us and God. The altar became the outward representation of the heart's inward approach towards God. That's what it became. It's like, it's like something's going on inside of me. And, it, and yes, that's where the real thing is, but it has to work its way into time and space. It's got to work itself into a life expression. And altars were a place, they were, a, they were an, an act of approach. And for me, the, the word altar means approach. Because whenever you saw an altar in the olden times, or even if you walk into a more formal church today, that was the place of approach. And as you approached the altar, it meant that you were approaching God. And that the altar had something to do with that encounter. So I think what God is talking to me today about is, is what's your approach? Not just your methodology, but do you have approach to God? Or do you just go throughout your day? Do you just kind of hope it mystically occurs or do you actually have a time a place where you approach you've created this place or this time called your altar your approach to god this approach is when i approach him to praise him it's when i approach him to ask for help it's when i approach him to get to know him more and whether it's a tree or whether it's on a seawall, it is a time, it is a place, it is a real heart moment to meet with God our Father. It's a real thing. It doesn't have to be a collection of stones, but there has to be some place where you're approaching God, where you've set it apart in time and in space. You say, well, I, you know, I really don't agree with you. Let me ask you, what else on this planet do you accomplish that is of any significance or benefit to the soul that does not happen in time and space? I, I, mean, I can throw out a, Anybody made money mystically lately? Uh, please excuse me, but this is where you go to church. But uh, how about sex? It's like, no, he's got me there. I mean, seriously, think about any significant relationship of intimacy that doesn't happen in time and space. Why would we think that a relationship with God would be any different? It's like, well, you know, I just go throughout my day. Really, does that work for your wife? I mean, I could be doing a marriage seminar right now of how guys come home from work and all of a sudden knock on their <laughs> wife's head like this. They're like, hey, I'm fooling around. And the wife looks at her husband and is like, are you out of your mind, moron? You think it works like that? Oh, she wants a time. She wants a space. She wants an approach. 
There's nothing of significance that we accomplish in this world that doesn't have an approach, a time and space encounter, and God's no different. God wants to meet with you about the issues of your life. The altars were usually built, particularly in the Old Testament, with the materials that were approximate to the person. So wherever you were and you encountered God, you used the material that was there. Now, medieval times and times that the church started to get more infused with finances and all that stuff, they would begin to quarry stuff, bring it in, special stones, special wood, and all that other stuff. That isn't the biblical model. What would normally take place is that somebody like Jacob would have an encounter with God, and then it'd be like, oh, there's a stone. And he'd take that stone, and he'd anoint that stone, and that would become the altar. So altars were normally used, used the approximate materials of the person's life. See, God wants you to approach him with the, with the materials of your life. You don't need a, some special wood flown in from the Vatican blessed by a priest. You don't need special water. You just need the materials of your life. It'll be on your porch. It'll be maybe sitting in your car. But not only that, it will be, it will be your grief. It may be that your failure will become the altar place. Maybe it will be your joy or your success. It will be the stones of your life. You can't get these stones from me. You can't get these stones from someone else. God wants you to have an altar experience with him, a time going to that secret place with the stuff of your life. And all the stuff is good. There's not just holy stuff. He wants all of it, the bad stuff, the good stuff. So I talked about Deanna's tree that we would climb up into. We talked about Morgan's seawall that we would sit on. But then there was Dawn's secret place. Dawn is my child from my first marriage, some over 30 years ago. And like I said, as a young man, being a father was the most important thing to me. I was probably a better father than I've ever been a, a husband. And so when we were separated and the divorce happened, she lived in Texas at times with her mom, and then we'd live here at times, and then there were those, those moments where we would be separated, and I would have to take her as a young child and put her on an airplane, and her mother would be on the other side. And I can remember when she was like three years old, leaving her on an airplane and being asked to uh, debark from the airplane by the stewardess, and, and Dawn would be crying, and I would be crying, and, and it was just this this moment and we 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 shared a grief together we shared a loss together we shared a hardship together and there was this little place that we had was kind of like our secret place our our little altar the time where my heart and her time there was a little um movie called uh, a great american tale and it had a it was a story about a little mouse named fievel and fievel gets lost from his from his dad and there is, there's this one scene where Fievel is in one location looking up at the moon and his family is in another location looking up at the same moon. And that song plays that, you know, somewhere out there beneath 
the pale moonlight, someone's thinking about you. And me and Dawn would put that song on, and she was just like four or five years of age, and we would sing the song together over the phone while we would go look at the moon. You say, wow, that's a really sad story. Um, it was the material of my life. It was all I had. You know, I was a single-parent dad. I was a divorced individual. I had, had brokenness come into my life. And it was interesting. God wanted those stones, too. He didn't want just the success stones. He doesn't want just your best. He wants you. He wants your life. He wants to commune with you. And as a result of those hardship moments, my relationship with Dawn is absolutely amazing but because we had that secret place together. Jacob was surprised that God was even in that place and that he could meet with him. It's interesting that the word uh, for it, the place was called loves. And the word loves, it can go one or two ways depending on how you're using it, but it, it means departed or the departure. Or it could also be referred to figuratively of the perverse. So he found himself in the place of departure, the place of out there, somewhere, beneath the pale moonlight, the place of the perverse, the place where you've messed up everything about you and your relationship with God. And then Jacob is amazed that God wants to meet with him even in that tough place. He wakes up and he's like, oh my God, I didn't even know you were here in this place. See, God wants to alter with you wherever you are. And you're like, oh no, God can't use me. My life's been messed up. It's all screwed up. I, I'm messed up in my head or I've messed up the situation. I deserve to. And God's like, no, I want to commune with you right there with the stones that you have. And if you're willing to do with it, you will experience Bethel the house and the very presence in the portal of God and of heaven. So let's get practical. Where do you go to be alone with God? It doesn't have to be fancy. It really doesn't. It doesn't even have to be religious. It just has to be where you really, really are. You know, I started to think about all the possible places you could have an altar moment with God, and I started thinking about, well, I could come up with a lot of places where you can't meet with God. And, you know, I really was running out. You know, I even came down to, well, wherever you have a beer. I'm like, well, you know, for some people, that might just be the only unwinding, relaxing moment they have in their day. And it's like, well, I can't take that away from anybody. The only thing I could figure out where you can't meet with God is anywhere where there's a remote in your hand, okay? Can we just be honest? Because if you've got a remote in your hand, you're probably not really there. You're maybe in between commercials or between, you know, kickoffs. But, you know, you're probably not really there if you've got a remote in your hand. But otherwise, where do you go to meet with God where you're really there? And you know what I mean by really there. Where your attention and your heart has a moment to meet and interact with God. It may be in your car. 
My wife's place with God is when she's walking Pepper in the morning. She goes off and takes this little stroll, and, and during that time, she has this altar moment with God. She goes in the rain, she goes in the dark, she goes in the snow, she goes whenever, and I'm like, you know, you really don't need to walk the dog. She's like, it's, it's not really the dog that's happening here. These are the stones of my altar with God. It may happen in a chair in a quiet room. It may happen while you're jogging on a trail. It may be on your elliptical while you've got some headphones on and you're listening to some music that's directing your heart towards God. I want you to listen to a story about a woman who made an altar. Now, this is really, this is crazy. And the reason why I picked this story, it's true. The reason why I picked this story is because it was so absurd, but true at the same time, because we think about our schedules and how busy we are. This woman gave birth to 19 children, but nine of them died as infants. And then one died accidentally while sleeping. There were times when her husband would run off and would just leave her with, with the children and not come back for like a year. He also ran up many debts that uh, forced him to go to prison two times in his life to further her problems with all these children uh, her home burnt down twice and she didn't have insurance because they couldn't afford it she had to homeschool all of her children while running a small business out of the house to pay the bills but even amid the most complex and busy years of her life as a mother she still seemed to schedule time for fellowship with God but the challenge was trying to find privacy in a house full of all these kids and, and all this activity that's going on where she could be alone with God. So Susanna's solution to this was to bring her Bible to her favorite chair. Then she would take her apron and she would drape it over her head and slightly down her back. She would take her Bible underneath the apron. Now, all the kids knew that when Mama was in her special chair and had her apron over her head, you didn't mess with Mama. Why? Because Mama was at her altar. This was a place that she had created for her heart and her soul to commune with God. It was a place of privacy that her kids, that her husband, that everyone knew that she was going to meet with God. Now, let me just tell you, moms and dads, and Brian's going to be sharing with us in a couple weeks about this. When, a, when your kids see you have an altar time, when they're not even allowed to come into it, and I know you may think that's kind of weird, but when they see that your relationship with God is the first relationship and it is valuable, it teaches them something, something powerful, when mom and dad have their own altar times with God. Say, wow, how could she survive this kind of situation? As life went, most of her children grew up to be lawyers, composers, and pastors. We cannot be so mystical that we think that, it, that just meeting with God happens. And I know a lot of people are that way. You know, it's just kind of like God's in the air and God's everywhere and, and, and I'm everywhere, so, so I'm always meeting with God. It's like, you really? Does that work with your wife? Does that work with, for your boss? 
You know, when, you, when he wants to know if you're getting your work done. Yeah, you know, I'm, gonna, I'm, I'm just like everywhere, boss, man. You know, do they still say that? <laughs> no, I mean, it's like, you know, yeah, I'm just, no, it doesn't work anywhere. Why would we think it works that way with God? So don't be so mystical to think that it just happens. But we cannot be so physical to think that it only happens in a certain place in a certain time. For instance, Sunday morning, this can't be your only altar. You know, you've got to have the, the objects of your life is what God wants. We create an atmosphere here where we come together and we praise God. And this becomes an altar where we, as the body of Christ, worship and just exalt our God. But there's got to be time when, when the stones of your life are put together by you, where you decide that you're going to have a secret place with God. You may think you can't approach God because you've, you've, you're like Jacob. You found yourself in a departed land, in a place where, you know, it's all messed up. It's so far from God. One of the most powerful verses you'll ever hear in Scripture comes out of Hebrews chapter 4, verse 16. When Paul's talking about coming to an altar moment with God, he says this, Let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in a time of need. He's like, we need to be confident that we, we can approach God through Christ. That we don't have to be afraid that, well, you're all messed up. It says, it doesn't say that we may receive um, help in a time of need. I don't know if you saw that. It does say help in a time of need. But it, it says that we may find mercy and grace in a time of need. Well, who needs mercy and grace? The screw-up, the departed, the perverse, those who have messed up, me. And what we're told is a result of Christ dying on the altar for us so that we can fellowship with God through the blood of Christ, which has been the sacrifice to open the portal that we may encounter God. He says, boldly come. Don't be afraid. Meet with me. Yeah, your life may be messed up. Yeah, maybe you're living with your boyfriend and he's in the other room. Put your apron over your head. And if he doesn't leave you alone, kick him out. Say, yeah, you're on your fifth marriage. It's just a number. It's just a number. Create an altar with God. Yeah, you, you don't know where you are in your sexual orientation. Okay. Go to the altar with God. Spend time with Him. My God, if there's any place where you might figure out some of the difficult questions of life, I would think it would be when we encounter heaven with God. So let me encourage you just tonight, um, today, as we're coming to this, this table of communion, this altar, it's a, it's a moment where we can commune with God. But he wants to meet with you every single day in your tree, on your seawall, in your grief, with the stones of your life. He wants to know you more. He wants to share with you the plan that he has for your life. And it's beautiful.
Father, as we enter into this sacred moment, it's not sacred because it's in this building. It's sacred because whenever the heart of a man wants to commune with the heart of a merciful, loving God, there you are in the midst of us. So we come in this altar moment. We approach the throne of grace to receive mercy and help in a time of need. We thank you, God. You're our dad, and you want to meet with us in your secret place. And your secret place was the gift of the life of your son, Jesus. And there we are all welcome through Christ our Lord. Let me invite you into a moment with God.